So ketamine is incredible for mental health stuff. Um, for suicidal ideation, um, for major depression, it can relieve depression significantly. It helps with PTSD, it helps with anxiety, it can help with OCD. When you're at home taking a pill every day, there's so many patients that are taking their antidepressants or whatever, and they're like, ah, I don't want to take this. I'm feeling good, and then they stop taking it, and they go back to feeling bad again. But if you had to go in just once a month for an IV treatment that took up two hours of your day, and then you're done, you go home and you're feeling great, you know, it's, it's much easier for many people. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. My name is Keith Fiveson. Today, we're honored to speak with and have as our guest, Kimberly Jovieski a retired nurse practitioner and nurse midwife whose journey has taken an unexpected turn after an injury during active duty with the United States Air Force, which led to complex regional pain syndrome. Kimberly's exploration of ketamine therapy started in 2015, and it really opened up new avenues of relief and advocacy for her and for many other veterans, as you'll soon find out. So I hope you join us as we uncover her remarkable story and insights into, into the transformative power of ketamine therapy. Without further ado, let's welcome Kimberly Jovieski. Kimberly. Hi, Keith. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me to come on. I am so thrilled to be here with you. The work that you're doing is really incredible. I'm glad to be a part of the Ketamine Task Force and, uh, you know, just the overall uh, growth of it, as well as the, the work that you're doing is very, very helpful. I'm wondering if you can share some of that and the pivotal moment, perhaps, where you decided to explore ketamine. I know you have this complex regional pain syndrome, but maybe we can unpack that so we can help other people learn and understand about ketamine since there's been so much, you know, news uh, recently about ketamine and none of it all good. So uh, I'd like to unpack that. Absolutely, Keith. Um, so my story begins when at the age of 37, I got recruited to join the United States Air Force. A little bit unusual, you know, most people go into the military or in their early 20s to mid 20s, maybe at the latest. Um, but for me, that was very different. Uh, I actually had kind of always wanted to join the military, mm -hmm. but just didn't happen. And then when I was 36, I basically had a midlife crisis. <laughs> And I'd ha we'd had a lot of stuff happen to us. Our family I, had moved. I feel like I had a midlife crisis at, at 15. So, you know, it's, it's good. 36 yeah. is fine, but you were there. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. And um, I happened to see online an advertisement saying U.S. Air Force nurse midwives wanted. Mm. And I'm like, what? There's midwives in the military? Wow. Who knew? <laughs> so I called this recruiter and that was it. He was not letting me go. Um, I must have had over a dozen phone calls with this guy even before we just sat down to talk and meet for coffee the first time. And he was convincing me to join the military. Uh, so I went, I met with him, and then I met with my family, uh, my husband, my in-laws, my parents. And we all decided this is an amazing idea, an amazing opportunity. Let's do it. So went away to commissioned officer training, which I was 
totally not prepared for. <laughs> I said to the recruiter, you know, I don't run and I've never done a push-up or sit-up. Don't worry about it. It's not going to be a problem. Thank God I didn't listen to him. I actually did pre uh, prep a bit with some Marines, retired Marines who were police officers um, who had opened a gym by me. So I did do some prep, but I still was not really prepared for the intensity of commissioned officer training. It was pretty hardcore. Um, graduated and got sent off to Scott Air Force Base in Southern Illinois. Hmm. Loved every minute, for the most part, of being in the Air Force. It was so different than the civilian world. You know, I worked mm. in the civilian world as a nurse practitioner and nurse midwife for 22 years. And then I joined the military. And in the civilian world, every day you go in, you mm -hmm. do your job, you go home. But in the military, today you go in and do your job. Tomorrow there's a commander's call. There's a luncheon. The next day you're helping to plan the Air Force ball. It was, it was really amazing. I absolutely loved every minute of it. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, also one of the things we did do on top of that was mm -hmm. further trainings. Mm -hmm. And um, I was prepping to possibly be deployed. And we had a training exercise where they call you in at two in the morning and they say, okay, there's been a nuclear attack on base. We need mm -hmm. to send you to rescue people. And they put us on these school buses, take us out to a farm field in the middle of nowhere. We're running around three o'clock in the morning trying to find the people they've placed mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. over this field. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I fell. Um, I think it was a rabbit hole, it could have been anything, who knows. Got back up, kept running around, kept trying to find patients, mm. um, got home, went to bed, woke up the next morning and my arm was crazy swollen and in horrendous pain. Um, so I went to see my primary care doctor. He's like, we did an x-ray, it wasn't broken, mm. put it in a splint and he's like, you'll be better in a couple days. So a couple days later, swelling had gone down, but I was still in a lot of pain. So eventually he sent me to see a hand surgeon. Mm -hmm. Hand surgeon sent me for an MRI and he said, oh yeah, you got a little ligament damage, but you also have a huge ganglion cyst growing on your nerves. Mm -hmm. And that's probably what's causing the majority of your pain. Mm -hmm. So went in for surgery and the hand surgeon's like, you're gonna be fine. This literally is like a two week recovery. You'll be back to work. Went in for surgery and I woke up and my arm started swelling to five times the normal size. And also, I didn't have surgical pain. I literally felt like someone had taken a match and lit my skin on fire. And I'm mm. like, what in God's name is going on here? So I went back to the surgeon and my husband and I were convinced that he left a gauze in my arm because my arm was so swollen mm. Mm. and he and it looked like it was a golf mm. ball oh, by my wrist. Wow. Wow. It was crazy. And it was bright red. So he's like, I did not leave a gauze in your arm, but just in case we'll send you for an x-ray. Sent me for an x-ray, no gauze. So he's like, I want you to rest for the next two weeks. You know, we'll just give you Percocet, whatever, to control the pain. Um, and then we'll see what happens. So I was taking Percocet around the clock. It wouldn't touch the pain, nothing. No matter what I did, I tried every drug under the sun. Nothing touched the pain. And I went back to see him in two weeks. And he's like, it hasn't changed at all. Hasn't gotten any better. I don't know what mm. to do with you. He says, I think you need to maybe see a neurologist. Go back to your primary care and get a referral to a neurologist. Well, around this time, unfortunately, there were some major cutbacks in the military. Mm -hmm. So the primary care docs um, behind the scenes had been told, you know, limit who you send out for specialist care. So instead of sending me to see a neurologist, he kept mm -hmm. sending me physical therapy and more physical therapy and more physical therapy. Well, well, after, 10 well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> after 10 months of physical therapy and my arm had not changed, the swollen had not come down. Mm -hmm. I really was not working. I mean, I had to go into the office every day because you're in the military, you got to go into work. Um, but I wasn't really working. 
um, I begged him, I'm back to primary care. I'm like, please, please send me to neuro. And he's like, at this point, I'm going to get permission. We're going to send you to neuro. So they sent me to neuro. And the neurologist says to me, oh, yeah, you have complex regional pain syndrome. And if you'd been here in the first couple months, sometimes a nerve block will no. um, actually reverse it. But it doesn't work after for a, a few months. For some reason, they don't know why. That may be something like it hasn't really set in the brain. And somehow the nerve block. So this, is the, this is part of the problem with uh, medicine as specialized without being yeah. fully integrated, right? I mean, you know, here yeah. it was almost, almost 10 months, you said? 10 months, 10 months? Yep. Oh, my goodness. So the neurologist immediately says, oh, this is... This is what he, you've got. So usually they don't even know. I was actually lucky that he wow. gave me. I kind of suspected it myself because I had done a lot of research and I actually happened to have a friend who had the <laughs> diagnosis. So when I broached it to him, I guess he like looked it up too. And he's like, yeah, I think this is definitely what you have. Um, so then he tries me on gabapentin, which, oh my God, was a disaster. Lyrica um, didn't work. Tried to put me on Cymbalta. I refused to take it because there's so many mm. horror stories about that drug. Um, and then, well, he's like, well, you got the opiates and that's about it. And I'm like, well, the opiates are doing nothing. Mm -hmm. So I stopped mm -hmm. taking them a long time ago. Um, he's like, well, you could try Celebrex. I'm like, that's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. Um, so he sent me back. He's like, I don't know what to do for you. So then, um, unfortunately two months after that, I had a secondary accident mm -hmm. where I fell on black ice. We had a huge ice storm in St. Louis mm -hmm. and didn't realize it was that icy because our porch was kind of protected so our porch didn't get icy but the driveway was a black sheet of ice mm -hmm. and i didn't know and i went to go turn the car on and i literally fell under the car somehow got into the car drove to base and went to get out of the car and my leg had swollen like a balloon and i li oh. literally called my commander mm -hmm. and i said i can't get out of my car so she mm -hmm. comes with a wheelchair she brings me up they do an x-ray again not broken but mm -hmm. you know whatever it was, and the CRPS had started attacking me immediately. It was crazy. Um, and unfortunately, after that, my commander says to me, well, now you can't walk or use your arm. Um, we're going to do a med board on you. So I was very lucky. Um, I had a medical board, but they retired me. So I got medical retirement. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. then I fell into the black hole of severe depression. Mm -hmm. I wasn't leaving my bed. Uh, I couldn't put a sock on. I couldn't put a shoe on. I was in so much pain. And that same friend who had CRPS in Florida mm -hmm. sent me an article about ketamine mm -hmm. being used to treat CRPS. Mm -hmm. So being medical, what do I do? I go down a rabbit hole, read everything I can get my hands on, and start calling places that are doing this magical treatment. Mm -hmm. But back then, that was 2013, beginning of 2013, mm -hmm. no one was really doing it. And the first uh, few places that were doing it, it was like $20,000 to get mm. it done. Oh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I wasn't working. My husband, mm. well, you know, he was working, but wasn't making that kind of money. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, forget it. It's not happening. Um, so I was even more depressed because here I knew there was a treatment, but I couldn't right. get it. Right, right. And a couple months later after that, that same friend who I, to this day, I told her she's my lifesaver, um, sends me one of those clinicaltrials.gov oh, yeah, uh, things yeah, yeah, that they yeah. were going to be doing a trial at the Hospital for Special Surgery in Manhattan on ketamine for CRPS. I immediately call them. I get on the wait list. Six months later, beginning of 2014, they call me and they're like, are you still interested in the study? I'm like, 100%. So I flew to New York, went in for like 10 different appointments with yeah. them. And finally, at the end, they said, yep, you've been accepted into the trial. Um, January 2015, I was supposed to go in 
and get this medicine and you know see what happened a week beforehand i start freaking out because you know you're reading about right. ketamine and it's, you're like it's this, this, is yeah. this is this is some crazy drug and you're right. gonna have a trip and you right. know you're what not gonna I know doing? where you are and, oh my god <laughs> yep yeah so i t totally start freaking out and i call my best friend not the same friend who sent me the articles but a different friend and i said to her i can't do this i, I like no i'm not doing it and she's like kimberly stop mm. he's like you are not living life you haven't left your bed in three years mm. your family mm. is suffering she said what do you have to lose if you do this trial and I said to her, Michelle, you're absolutely right. I'm going to do it. And she's like, good. <laughs> so I went into the hospital, got admitted. Um, and of course, within hours, knew I was getting the real drug, not the placebo. And it wasn't bad at all. Actually, I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And came out of the hospital with a 50% reduction in pain, 100% mm -hmm. reduction in my suicidal ideation. In mm -hmm. fact, to this day, it has not returned at all. Mm -hmm. um, and a reduction in um, anxiety, depression. I mean, I literally felt like a new person. Mm -hmm. I went through the whole trial, finished the trial, and then I'm like, well, what am I going to do now? Because I don't know where I'm going to continue getting ketamine. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I said to a friend of mine who was also getting ketamine, um, actually through a research study through the VA out in San Antonio, which is still to this day one of the few clinics that actually does ketamine for pain. Um, I said to her, what if we start a Facebook group to talk to people around the country who are also getting this medicine? So we started this Facebook group, which now has over 13,000 patients in it. 13,000. Um, yeah. I mean, that was one of my questions. You built this incredible community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And so go ahead. Yeah. Okay. It's pretty evenly split between pain patients and um, mental health patients. Mm -hmm. So people either have a mental health diagnosis or a pain diagnosis. And we have quite a few headache patients as well because ketamine is now being used for migraines. Mm -hmm. um, and the one recurring theme that was in the group was the lack of insurance coverage mm. and the lack of access mm -hmm. or limited access because so many people who need this medicine are not working they're on disability mm -hmm. um and they can't afford it right so i reached out to some another patient a couple doctors a lawyer a nurse practitioner and i said you know we need to put together an advocacy group to fight to get this mm -hmm. start covering by insurance so first we went to the AMA and we said, well, what do we need to do to create a CPT code to get this covered? So they told us the steps and they said, fill out an application and submit it by June 6th or whatever it was. And then we'll see how it goes. So we filled out this application, this beautiful application, took about four or five months to fill it out. It's very in-depth, very intense and send it into the AMA. Now what happens from there is the AMA then sends it to every organization they think are going to use your CPT code. <laughs> and those organizations laughed at us. They're yeah. like, who the hell do you think you are doing this? Like, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. So you can't talk to those organizations unless you withdraw your application. So we withdrew our application and we went to first the American Society of Anesthesia or whatever it's called exactly. And we spoke to them and they literally said, we don't need this. We don't need insurance coverage for this. Mm. One of their board members was getting ketamine for depression and mm. says, we don't need insurance coverage. So could you imagine how out of touch with reality these doctors are? Just because you make $500,000 a year doesn't mean your average patient is mm -hmm. making $500,000. So, 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 so that's really counterintuitive. Can I mean, I'd like to just kind of wind it back a little bit and just kind of talk about ketamine as a drug and why it is that it has so much controversy to it 
specifically, you know, we know that it was a club drug, you know, we can call it special K. All right, right. but before a lot you of call people it came that, from you gotta I, you got you gotta go back further. Okay. You gotta even start further. with okay. yeah, you, you gotta start with the history of ketamine. Yeah. Ketamine in the nineteen seventies mm-hmm. um, was discovered mm-hmm. and by the FDA, it is FDA approved mm-hmm. as an anesthesia drug. And the FDA tra- um, on label says Ketamine is a drug that provides a high level of analgesia, which basically means pain control as an anesthetic. And it's the number one uh, from the HOA perspective. Yes. It's the number one anesthesia in the world. In the world. It is in the top 10 most important drugs that every hospital needs to have. Mm -hmm. It's the number one drug used for pediatric anesthesia because it's so safe. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was used on the front lines of the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And they noticed that patients that got ketamine had a lower incidence of PTSD when they come back, came back from the war, which is interesting in and of itself. Right. So way before it was being abused or becoming a club drug, I mean, every drug gets abused. It, it's going to happen. You know, anything that provides like kind of a fun feeling or whatever, it's going to get abused, mm-hmm. whether it's opiates, whether it's ketamine, but it's extremely safe. I mean, when we look at, let's say, fentanyl versus mm-hmm. ketamine, oh. fentanyl, there's almost, last year, there was 78,000 deaths in the United mm-hmm. States from fentanyl, and there was three from ketamine. Mm-hmm. And all three of the people who died with ketamine in their system had other drugs on board as well. Right. Okay. So there's there's uh, c- contraindications and certainly things that you should or shouldn't be doing and taking a whole bunch of drugs and hanging out in a hot tub is not one of them. It's not you know, one I mean, of them. Yeah, I mean, you 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 should not be doing that. Period. No. End of story. Stop. You know, it's not. But here you are. You 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 put in your filing. You put in the right paperwork, and 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 people are using it as number one anesthesia in the world. And here you are looking at a different approach to it. So is it that? And and you'd already gotten some treatments. Is it that people didn't recognize in lower doses or perhaps different dosage? period that you don't go under, you know, that it really does manage and control pain? Um, I don't know why the American side of anesthesia treat us the way they did. I think that part of it is has to do with the money pot. Mm-hmm. So from what I understand, for all insurance and all CPT codes and everything out there, there's like a certain amount of money available. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with like Medicare, Medicaid and those things and that they didn't want to divide that pot anymore. I mean, these are just guesses like we don't really know to this day, but they were the impetus bef- behind the ketamine task force becoming a real organization of 501c3. Mm-hmm. You know, after they laughed at us, they, we said we need to legitimize. We need to become an actual organization that people can respect. You know, and that's where we really started to fight to try mm-hmm. to get to change and get things done. Um, we then approached Medicare and Medicare, unfortunately, also turned us down. We tried to get a national coverage determination. Mm-hmm. Um, they told us they felt the research wasn't strong enough mm-hmm. for pain. Mm-hmm. And looking at the research, I mean, I think it's very strong, honestly. But the bottom line is for pain, it's technically approved already. Mm-hmm. Uh, on label with the FDA, it says ketamine is an anesthetic drug that provides a high level of analgesia. Well, analgesia is pain control, pain relief. Mm-hmm. So how mm-hmm. could you not say that this is a drug that treats pain when it already says in the FDA approval that it treats pain? Mm-hmm. So I think part of the fight with that now is just getting you know advocates for us who are going to go to Congress and go to the FDA and say, 
you know, you have all these hundreds of pain patients mm -hmm. across the country who could come off of um, their pain meds, come off of opiates, because ketamine, I know tons of people who've been able to wean off of opiates mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. due to ketamine treatments. Uh, or even if they haven't completely weaned off, they've been able to go significantly down the amount of um, opiates that they needed, which mm -hmm. also is amazing. Um, and you could be saving lives with ketamine. I mean, tons of lives. Mm -hmm. But we need it to be paid for by insurance because treat, you know, and not just paid for, paid for appropriately. So right now there are a few practices around the country that are taking insurance, mm -hmm. but they're using what's called generic billing codes and they are getting tiny reimbursements. I'm talking about for a four hour infusion, mm -hmm. they're lucky to get $250. Mm -hmm. And one of the big practices that has been treating people um, in Pennsylvania, looks like unfortunately they're going to have to either close or change something because they he, he said I'm, he's going bankrupt. Mm. I mean, he keeps trying to treat people and he's trying to do the right thing by trying to build with these generic codes and he's losing money right and left. Mm. Mm. And we're going to, so, you know, and right now he's only one of like four providers in the entire country that's even doing that. So, so I know that, uh, you know, recently you and I met at Wonderland originally, uh, and, uh, you yes. know, we met a couple of times and I'm really moved by your story. And as a vet myself, I wanted to be very much involved. So, um, and I've also, um, you know, spoke with, uh, uh, Stephen, uh, 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 general brigadier, uh, Stephen, uh, Zanakis and, uh, you know, he, uh, um, also felt very strongly that this needs to be uh, approved, certainly through the VHA and through insurance yes. companies. Uh, and your focus has been on pain management, specifically around the area of pain management. Both. And, I'm focused on mental health and pain management. And both. mental and, and the mental health yes. area. So yes. I'm wondering, from the standpoint of mental health, because we understand from your story the application and pain management, but what about mental health? How does it work with mental health? And, you know, I'm working with a ketamine clinic and helping with preparation and integration work, but I'd like your spin on it and your perspective on it, because this is really your life 24 seven. So yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you can give some perspective. So ketamine is incredible for mental health stuff. Um, we don't know why exactly how it works. You know, nobody knows what's going on in the brain, but for suicidal ideation, it can stop it completely between one and three doses um for major depression it can relieve depression significantly it helps with ptsd it helps with anxiety it can help with ocd you know i don't want to say it works for everything because it doesn't work for, you know mm -hmm. there's always going to be the like panacea. yeah mm -hmm. yeah it's not the panacea, but it definitely helps a lot of diagnoses mm -hmm. and it's absolutely incredible for those and because then you don't have to take a pill every day you know when you're at home taking a pill every day, there's so many patients that are taking their antidepressants, or whatever, and they're like, I don't want to take this. I'm feeling good. And then they stop taking it and they go back to feeling bad again. Mm -hmm. But if you had to go in just once a month for an IV treatment that took up two hours of your day and then you're done, you go home and you're feeling great. You know, it's, it's much easier for many people, especially mm -hmm. pe people like me who are taking pills. <laughs> right. um, and it's just, I mean, for myself, uh, the only time I've ever been suicidal in my life was due to my severe pain. And like I said, since um, getting that major pain relief with ketamine, my suicidal ideation has not come back at all, which has been a real miracle. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, not everyone gets completely relief like that. It can come back, which is why I like to say that ketamine is not a cure. It's a treatment, um, but it definitely works. Now, the question is, why does it work? How does it work? Again, we don't know. Mm 
And there's a whole debate whether people have to have that like out of body experience that ketamine can give you at the right doses or whether someone could get a very tiny dose and it can work just as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of proof that people really do need that disassociation or that out of body experience mm -hmm. in order to, or psychedelic experience, whatever we want to call it, right. in order to really get the best results with ketamine. And we've seen it, I mean, we like I said, we have 13,000 patients in our group and we see over and over that the people are getting treated with very low doses who are mm -hmm. really not achieving that disassociation. They either don't get any results or they get very temporary results, which mm -hmm. lasts a much shorter amount of time. Right. Okay. So I, I want to jump back into that in a second, you know, talking about the difference between the psychedelic dose and the psycholytic dose, which right. is really because there really is not a lot of research in terms of psycholytic microdoses, you know, if you will. Uh, but I, I will also want to jump back to your um, you know, your, your, your challenge, if you will, of getting, of looking at insurance and going through that whole story that you went through in terms of, you know, taking back out the CPT codes, uh, that, 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 that fundamental application for, you know, getting acknowledged and then, uh, having the interviews and, you know, really dealing with this one board member who, you know, was already taking, you know, ketamine to go ahead and deal with their own uh, pain and their own issues. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering if we can go back there, what kind of progress did you make and what kind of challenges have you had in, you know, since then to bring us up to where we are now? Uh, and, you know, I, I'll, I'll, it's a long question since we're talking about years, but maybe we can just look at the challenges of the, uh, of the, old guard, if you will, and, you know, dealing with those challenges on the day-to-day -to -day basis today. Yeah. So after we weren't successful with the AMA, um, mm -hmm. we basically withdrew our application. Um, and we decided to tackle this from another route, which was the Medicare route and trying to get national coverage determination. So when Medicare makes a national coverage determination on something, that basically means most insurances will fall in line afterwards and pay for it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we worked with Medicare for months and months on this first pain application, like I said, and they turned us down for that because they said they felt the research wasn't strong enough. So then we talked to them, we said, okay, so now can we submit for mental health instead? Because they said it has to be completely separate, which is fine. Um, and we're, they're like, yeah, you can submit it, no problem. So we put together this beautiful application. We worked for six months on it. We presented over 60 research studies and they said, okay, this is fantastic. It's going to take us a few months to review and then we will get back to you. A week after we submitted this application, they came back to us and said, we're turning you down. And we're like, mm -hmm. it's been a week. Now, how have you reviewed 60 research studies in a week? And they're like, well, this one study, blah, blah, and they kept quoting one study over and over. Um, so we don't know what happened there, but they basically turned us down. You know, there are obviously mm. some suspicions about mm -hmm. what might have happened. Maybe mm -hmm. someone at Medicare has a new yacht. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But whatever it is, we were very disappointed because, like I said, we put in six months worth of effort wow. into that. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. And it was a big oh. team of doctors, nurse practitioners, all working together. Um, so very devastating to us. Um, so then we went back to the drawing board and it just so happened around that time that I actually met someone who works for the FDA and he said, you guys need to do your own research study mm -hmm. and then submit 
an IND to the FDA just to get major depression on label with the FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have actually been working towards that goal and lots happening there. Can't go into so many details because a lot of it's like under a non-disclosure agreement kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, but we have a lot of stuff going forward. We're very excited about it. Mm-hmm. And we are definitely going to be pushing forward to get ketamine on label for major depression with the FDA. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Um, That's yeah. excellent news. And I, I know I've been involved with uh, the petition aspect. Maybe we can talk a little bit. About, I, I, I think we've got 13, 1400 signatures on the petition. And you've got, I mean, combined, I think we've got close to, what, 2500, if not more? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Between the two um, petitions, between the pain right. one and the mental health one. Yeah, I think we're close to 2,500. Right. We're super excited about that. And um, we're actually going to bring that petition to our funders mm-hmm. um, to show them that there is this huge need for this medicine mm-hmm. and that, you know, it's life saving. You know, we're talking about people's lives here. And mm-hmm. that's the bottom line. I think the government sometimes forgets that. The FDA, they forget that. But, um, and we're also going to be making a movie mm-hmm. telling the story about ketamine, the history behind it, um, my story, you know, how I've been involved and in, in mm-hmm. pushing to get this covered and how we're going to get it done. Because I tell everyone we're not stopping until we get this done and we right. will push forward. We will go to D.C. We will campaign on the president's tour if we have to. Mm-hmm. Because so this is so, talking about lives here. So I'm I'm like really very confused about all this because you know I mean and, and you know I'd like it to be kind of black and white. I'd like to say okay, here's the enemy and you know the you know we've got to deal with the enemy and maybe it's maybe in this particular case it's the establishment of old the old guard and worn out thinking that really. But yet at the same point you kind of go well wait a second. It's the number one, you know, World Health Organization drug, and it's already been used. And we're really not talking about anesthesia in terms of putting right. people out. We're really talking about like lowering the dose and working with pain management to yeah. use the drug. So, what's the complication? Why is it? Is it just big pharma and the, you know, the pharmaceutical industrial complex that we're dealing with? What? What? That's what it. Do you think is that, that is. It? That's a hundred percent it. And it's that, that and money. money. Right. Money. It's that money pot. Only so much money in the pot to go around. And that's part bed. of it. And there's no money to be made off of it. It's a generic drug. So who and, makes and money? And it takes people, takes people off of SSRIs. So exactly. the pharmaceutical companies don't use, don't, don't, don't make as much money. Yep. It gives people, empowers people to go ahead and be a part of their own management, their own pain management, if you will, rather than be subjected to whatever yep. is available. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and are there other issues, the misconceptions that you encounter uh, around? Oh my God! Ketamine? So How do you many address misconceptions. Them? What are what are they? And and let's talk about those. So the big one is it's a horse tranquilizer. It's a veterinarian medicine, mm-hmm. um, which I have to tell people no. So most the majority of medicine used in veterinarian today mm-hmm. was originally human drugs that are just mm-hmm. then used for animals. You want something interesting? Do you know what Viagra was actually developed for? It was developed to be used as a heart drug for dogs. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they found this wonderful side effect. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. And now that drug has made billions of dollars for the pharmaceutical industry because of the side effect of Viagra. Wow. Um, and I, I wonder what, what lab technician, you know, figured that one out. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that yeah. just goes to sh- so. show you that the majority of drugs are, that are used in veterinary medicine are used in human medicine and mm-hmm. vice versa, you know. Okay. Um, a drug is a drug, you know. My dog took Zofran. Zofran's an anti-nausea drug used by every human being in the world, you know. Right. So, um, I mean, but we've got all these misconceptions special k it's a club drug it's a so that's the other thing i I like to tell people any drug can be abused right anything so turn on your tv right now in the next 10 minutes you are going to see a drug commercial and that drug commercial at the very end is going to say and by the way this drug may have this and this and that side effects i'm like every drug can have side effects and any drug that has like i like to say a fun element to it can uh potentially be a drug of abuse you know i mean yes ketamine does give you that out-of-body experience so there's no question that it can has the potential for abuse but so right. does percocet so does um morphine so but doesn't mean we have to stop using them we just have to prescribe it correctly and the nice thing about ketamine versus some of these other drugs is the those other drugs have like 10 times the potential for abuse because not only do they give the mental lift mm-hmm. they also are addictive physically and Kenny is not physically addictive mm-hmm. um, some people like to claim it is I really don't believe it is mm-hmm. I know hundreds of people who take it today and go six months until they need their next dose without any mm-hmm. untoward effects at all right. um, so I think some of that supposed physical addiction is really more mental but anything can be mentally addicted I am extremely addicted to chocolate if mm-hmm. you tell me I can't have my chocolate today I'm be very upset with you Right. Well, you know, the potential might be the worst case might be, you know, if you're diabetic, there could be contraindications or if you've got, you know, I mean, you could break out. I mean, you know, there could be other things, but certainly not, um, you know, what we're talking about in terms of heroin or cocaine or some of the other addictive drugs. Or even for that matter, you talked about three deaths with ketamine, you know, and, you know, we're talking about 150,000 deaths, alcohol related deaths. Yep last year so you know and those are just the surface ones we don't get into the broken homes or the tragedy exactly. or the domestic violence or all of the other things that happen with that but i'm i'm just wondering you know when you start looking at um you know the use of ketamine it seems to me that um you know there's the large doses you, it, there's sort of gradual degrees of you yes. know whether or not it's anesthesia where you totally going out you know, right. or whether or not it's al- uh, uh, al- allergen- uh, what analgesic. Analgesic. <laughs> analgesic. Thank you very much. So whether or not it's analgesic or anesthetic. And then there's, I started to talk about the psycholytic aspects of the m- microdosing because there are uh, groups out there that are like Journey or Joyous or mind bloom or any of these others that are really providing very 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 low doses of well ketamine. some of them are not providing such low doses and that's a whole other story okay and that's a whole other story and then yeah you know that's where i think you're talking about the issues around some people who become addicted and so on and not addicted. Not i don't want to say addicted i want to uh, say that they're abusing it a, a, become yeah. dependent upon it abusing yeah. Me- it mentally Mis- misusing yeah. it Misusing, misusing, misusing. So, um, in, in the misuse, I want to talk about that in terms of that other area because you know we've got we've got obviously anesthesia, analgesic. We've got the mental health, you know, treatment of men- mental, you know, depression and like ongoing just discussion. And then we've got this 
microdosing area. So can you talk a little bit to that perhaps? Yes, so for pain doses, people need higher doses. Um, usually those infusions are about four hours long. They're very intense. They're IV not fun infusions, to, yeah. IV infusions, not fun to go through. I hate my pain ones, actually. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. um, mental health is usually 40 minutes to an hour. Mm -hmm. It's a mid-range dose. It's enough. It's usually what's called titrated, which means um, mm -hmm. kind of, um, reduced, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, Reduced, adjusted, uh, adjusted, adjusted, yeah. mm -hmm. adjusted to the amounts of the patient disassociates or feels like they're in that other world. Mm -hmm. um, and then you come back down when it's off. And then a microdose would be more like just like a small, small amount that you could still 100%, you know, you know where you are, you're talking, you're awake, but you're just really relaxed and you could talk to a therapist through that. Um, mm -hmm. but and that's the psycholytic. Right, that's the psycholytic term. And, exactly. and we use that we use that in terms of actually having therapy. Yes. Using that using the using the ketamine as a way to kind of open up to lower your defense mechanisms. Exactly. Right? And and exactly. then be able to get into some of the stories, some of the narratives, some of the pain and suffering what you might yeah. have gone through or buried, right? So. Exactly. Exactly. Now the at-home stuff like mm -hmm. joyous and mind blue and them some of them are sending pretty large doses i have very mixed feelings about those um for our pain patients who need something in between mm -hmm. i definitely think there can be safe amounts done at home like let's say maximum 100 milligrams or whatever it is um, a few times a week to kind of boost in between your infusions mm -hmm. but if anyone's taking anything higher than like 100 milligrams it should always be in a supervised setting with with a partner, mm -hmm. um, never by yourself, never ever ever near a body of water. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Um, because anything higher than 100 milligrams can definitely make you disassociate and be out of your not lose control of your body, lose control of your, your mm -hmm. what you're feeling and being able right. to lose consciousness. Yeah. Lose consciousness. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely think that those companies can have their place, but I think they need to have more safety and more um, warnings built in. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I actually did a, tried out a home program called New Life. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they did was if you didn't take a picture of your partner who's sitting next to you, mm -hmm. you couldn't continue on mm -hmm. to the next step of your treatment that day. Right. Now, of course, someone could still do it because you have the medicine in your hand, but you wouldn't be able to take advantage of the app and the music and like all that stuff that you want to do for your, you know, for your journey. So they right. put that in as their safety, um, mm -hmm. which is definitely a good start. Mm -hmm. um, right. And I know Joyous has something similar to that in terms of a check-in or a monitoring capability in terms of the check-in for the individual. Right. And then they stop shipping if that individual hasn't checked in. Right. And that was the same thing with New Life. Like they wouldn't ship also if you right. didn't check in and if you didn't do each, like you had to do everything. You had to show them the actual pill. You had to show them the prescription for that day. You know, you had to, right. like everything was a safety check, which I think was very smart. Um, and then, and right. they sent maximum two doses at a time, which also is very smart, you know. And they accompany that with, with uh, you know, uh, therapy. So you, Yes. In, in a lot of cases, you're working with a therapist who is part of the network or part of the platform. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I definitely think there are ways it can be done at home safely. But the truth is the gold standard and the best treatments are either IV or IM when you're dealing with mental health patients. Mm -hmm. um, number one, you get much better results. 
Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm not talking about your psycholytic. I'm talking about your actual disassociation right. out of your body experience. Um, there's no question that IV and IM are definitely superior to anything you could take orally mm-hmm. for those type of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mm-hmm. yes, but that's but then you're dealing with the whole cost. It's so mm-hmm. much more money, and that's why people have been doing this at home stuff, mm-hmm. and that's what we're fighting for is to get the insurance to start paying for it. Right. So. So there's. Everyone. So, so what we've really talked about is four particular areas, the, you know, anesthesia, the analgesic, the ability to go ahead and look at mental health with a guide, with someone who's sitting with yes. you. And then the at home, the psycholytic dose, which is a much more microdose, but you're still working with a therapist. You know, you're not willy nilly out on your own, determining right. your own, you know, uh, uh, mental health, if you will, using it as for a self-medication. I'm right. wondering. I'm wondering. You now. You've you've uh, written a book, uh, and I, I'd like to get some insights on your book. You know, it's uh, ketamine infusions. A patient died, and you know, you're offering you know some valuable insights for individuals that are considering this treatment. I'm wondering, you know, when you look at the book and you look at the approach, maybe you can talk a little bit about that in terms of you know even how people might get the book. Uh, yes. you know, and, and, and use it to get some, some guidance. So, um, the book's available on Amazon, so mm-hmm. everyone can pick it up on copy up on there. Good. The reason I wrote that book was I realized like myself, there's a lot of fear going into the unknown. You know, someone who's approaching this, someone who's never done drugs, um, you know, maybe you've drank a glass of champagne, some wine here and there, mm-hmm. but you've never, you know, done anything like psychedelic like. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of fear of the unknown. Uh, so that was what, and my best friend who convinced me to do that infusion, mm-hmm. I, you know, to, to go on and do my treatment, she kind of was also my impetus for writing that book. Cause she's like, mm-hmm. Kim, you got to write this book so that other people can be helped and not be scared going in. You know, it definitely feels like a scary experience at first, but, um, after thinking it over, I realized that it's very similar to a 3d ride at Disney mm-hmm. world. Um, so anyone who's ever been on, so if you've been to Animal Kingdom, there's a ride mm-hmm. called Pandora. It's actually my favorite ride where you get on these like fake dragon creatures mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you lean forward and you're flying through the air and you're flying through the woods and you're going under logs and into trees. Right. That's ketamine. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I like to tell people, go to Disney World. <laughs> you get your first ketamine trip without ever having any medicine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but if you've ever been on a 3D ride of any kind, it's very similar to what you experienced with ketamine. But if you get scared, all you gotta do is lift up your eye mask and open your eyes. And you can, you know, you'll see the world is back around you. And, right. you know, you're really in control of what you dream and how you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really an incredible experience. And it's mm-hmm. so healing. Um, I've had several journeys where people who've passed, uh, friends came and sat with me and flew Mm. with me Mm. and I really had a lot of peace and I really felt like I really connected with their souls that they actually Mm -hmm. came and visited me. Um, Recently my service dog passed away and um, she came and visited me and told me she was okay, which was such a comfort. So, you know, Mm. I really feel that this medicine opens you up and brings you to the next plane and allows you to connect with things that we can't see and hear in our everyday. Mm. And I think that's what's so incredible about ketamine or any other type of psychedelic medicine. I really do feel our brain has areas that we don't utilize and the ketamine is opening up those areas 
and bringing us into that psychic other world that we don't see every day in right. our lives. Well, well, they say that, uh, you know, you only use 5% of your brain space exactly. and consciousness. And so that leaves the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg, uh, you know, the other 95% underwater, if you will. So yes. I like this. Uh, I like this idea. Now, is that a part of kind of like your book in terms of the journey and the trip? Because it sounds like yes. a, it sounds like a real travelogue, like get ready, pack your bags. And here's here's a little bit of what the trip is going to be like. And when you come back, you know, uh, be prepared to tell the story. Yeah, we talk about all that in the book. You know, we talk about how to vet your provider, make sure you're getting a good provider, make sure they're doing correct dosing. Mm -hmm. One of the things we found with some ketamine providers, unfortunately, is they underdose because they're a little bit afraid of the medicine themselves. Mm. Um, I think that's changing. I'm not seeing as much of that um, as, you know, the field is progressing very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have some providers still to this day who only want to go up to a maximum of 0.5 milligrams per kilogram of patient's body weight. Okay which for, has been shown in studies to be too low. Um, so your ketamine provider should be willing to adjust the dose as you need. You know, you may get someone coming in the door who only needs 0.25, but you also mm -hmm. may get someone who needs one milligram per kilogram body weight. Mm -hmm. So every individual is different. Um, mm -hmm. And this medicine is not like penicillin where you can just say, give everyone 500 milligrams. This medicine right. has to be adjusted for each person specifically and see how they react and see how they do with it. Mm -hmm. And you can go up, you can go down. Another thing I do tell people, if you're getting your ketamine and all of a sudden you get really frightened or scared, ask your provider to slow it down a little bit. There's no reason why they can't slow down the infusion. Right. Ask them to lower the dose. If you feel the dose is too high, go back a little bit. Then maybe next time work up a little bit more, but work up more slowly. You know, so this message right. is so individual and it should be tailored to the individual. And that's another thing that insurance companies need to see. And that's why they should be paying a reasonable amount. Mm -hmm. This is not a medicine where you're putting some 20 people in a room and leaving, you know, just leaving the room. Right. This right. is a medicine where you need to be one-on-one, -on -one, two to one with mm -hmm. a nurse, mm -hmm. with a doctor who is going to be with you, who's going to make sure you're having the good experience, you know, not going to leave you alone in a room somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, well, and yet I, I, I hear you talking about that. We've talked about the four different areas of ketamine and, you know, just to uh, close out the patient guide, I really feel that it sounds to me like this is the essential guide that individuals should get if they're considering ketamine for their, themselves to be empowered. I mean, you really want to be informed and empowered about this. But, you know, the thing about the uh, IV drips, I mean, we see these Barco loungers. I've been to ketamine clinics where you've got, you know, 12 Barco lounges in a room with IV and, you know, they're, they've got their IV infusions and they're not even wearing masks or they're, you know, they may, oh, may have their own, good. they may have their own iPods or whatever, but you know, they're all taking like, you know, the, they're, they're, they're mills, you know, and right. I'm wondering, well, there's, your no, view there's nothing wrong with a group ketamine session. Actually. Right. I actually like that. I like when you're in okay. a room with other people. Um, as long as you are number one, everyone should be having noise canceling headphones and their mm -hmm. provider should be telling them that. Um, number two, every single person should be having an eye mask. Number three, there shouldn't be like a lot of beeping machines, like bothering people, you know, they got to like make sure in a medical environment. Yeah. 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 There should not be, it should be quiet. Um, it should be peaceful, mm -hmm. you know, and there should be someone who is checking on you who comes in and out of the room or very quiet, you know, very quietly um, and is monitoring you and making sure you're safe. So like uh, one of my places locally that I go to sometimes for mental health infusions between my pain ones, 
Um, you know, they do leave you by yourself in the room, but you have mm -hmm. the call button right there and they're constantly coming in and out to check on you and make sure that you're safe and make sure mm -hmm. everything's okay. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the important thing. Like there should, you shouldn't be left alone in a room with no access to getting mm -hmm. help if you need it. Mm -hmm. I've heard some crazy stories like a patient's falling out of the chair. You know, I had, we had a patient right. recently who found herself on the floor with the IV pulled out bruises all over her i'm like no right. that's not acceptable totally totally um, totally unconscious and no yeah. one's around to go ahead and support them and i i i want to get to sort of the you know the work that back to the work that you've been doing and <laughs> and and sort of the vision because we're coming we're coming towards the end of our time and i, I also want to make sure you know people know how to get a hold of you and know how to be a part of the ketamine task force but if you were to look at the future, like envisioning the future of ketamine therapy evolving, you know, both in terms of accessibility and integration into the mainstream healthcare, what do you, how do you see it? You know, we're 2014, we just had Matt Perry, which blew up the airwaves, you know, and the, yes. the whole community recently in terms of the misinformation that was thrown out there i'm wondering how do you see things moving forward in like maybe a perfect world or certainly your world and you know what what can what can we do as listeners to go ahead and get involved so i actually see matthew perry in a way as a good thing because it brought an unbelievable amount of attention to ketamine um and the good it can do you know, um, I think his story is extremely sad. He was so talented, but he struggled so much with addiction. And addiction is a big problem. And they can actually use ketamine to help people get off of fentanyl and, you know, morphine and all these other drugs uh, when used correctly. And the truth is that he was being partly treated by a ketamine clinic. But unfortunately, right. it sounds like he went out and got more ketamine on his own. But he was addicted. He, you know, he had an addiction. He had a problem. And more isn't more isn't better in this particular. More case. isn't better. Absolutely not. Um, you need to listen to your doctor. You know what you're being prescribed. You know is the right amount to take. And if you're feeling the need to do more or take more, you need to talk to your provider about that. Mm -hmm. But I also think that his story, I'm hoping, is going to be the impetus to get the FDA to get on board to pass this. You know, with a proper label, with a proper indication, get insurance. If insurance had paid for it, maybe he would have had better access. You know, we don't know what his money situation was. You know, maybe he had tons of money, maybe he didn't. Maybe he was struggling, who knows? But um, whatever it is, every single person who needs it should be able to access this life-saving medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and to get involved in Task Force, 100% just reach out to us at KetamineTaskForce.org. Um, mm -hmm. Go on the website, send us an email. We'd love to have you help out to get involved um look, watch out for like you know things like the petition mm -hmm. you know helping i know sometimes it feels like useless to sign these petitions but it's not it can mm -hmm. actually be very helpful especially in our case where we're going to be bringing it to people to show how important this medicine is how much it's needed um and we're going to what about the film can people contribute to the production oh, of the film as producers as uh, co-producers or how does that so work so if people um donate um they can definitely be on as a ex executive producer um we're looking for some big people to sponsor the film um we have an amazing team working on this film super excited about it um one of our producers is a veteran um, i'm one of the producers also a veteran <laughs> 
And um, our other two pro uh, producers and directors are really incredible people. I think it's going to be an amazing film. Um, our big thing now is raising that $250,000 to pay for the film because mm -hmm. fundraising is never easy. So if anyone uh, would like to help with that, we would love to have you help with that. That'd be incredible. And the other new thing the Academy Task Force is doing, uh, we realize that there's a real need for veterans and first responders and even medical professionals to get treated now and not wait. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually started a second organization called Healing Our Heroes Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, that's bringing um, medical professionals, veterans, first responders, retirees of the CIA and FBI, mm. retirees of the government who are not being treated for PTSD and things like that right. on healing retreats. Oh, um, our yeah, our eventual goal is to build a world-class retreat center in Florida that's going to have longer retreats to bring people for intensive healing. We're planning to have equine therapy. We're planning to have beekeeping, um, possibly some kind of working with dogs, mm -hmm. um, gardening. It's mm -hmm. going to be organic, all natural, mm -hmm. beautiful food. And we'd like people to come up and even stay as long as a month, possibly, mm -hmm. with yeah. ketamine treatments. Um, so that's our eventual goal. Uh, what we're starting with is right now we're working with other retreat centers around the country, um, specifically right now Hawaii and Arizona, mm -hmm. and we're going to be bringing people out on retreats there. We have one coming up in March and we in uh, Hawaii and the Big Island, and right. we have another one coming up in April in Arizona, which we're super excited about. The one in March in Hawaii is actually open to any veterans, first responders, um, medical professionals, or any other government workers who are not being taken care of. The one in April is exclusively for veterans. It's actually in a veteran center in Arizona that's being um, donated for us to use. Mm -hmm. We're very excited Ex about it. Excellent. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you've got a lot of a lot of stuff cooking. I mean, for yes. Yeah, and and you've got uh, a, a real wonderful goal and a wonderful you know vision in terms of where you want to bring everything, and you really do need people. And you're a wonderful leader, by the way. Oh, I've, thank I've, you. I've been very impressed with your leadership, and uh, you know being involved with the ketamine task force. So if people want to get involved with you, uh, ketamine task force, uh, look up uh, Kimberly Jurvoyeski. <laughs> did I get to not? I, I mispronounced Jurovieski. Jurovieski. Right. And thank you for your patience with me. No worries. But ketamintaskforce.org um, is the best place to reach me at. And then for Healing Our Heroes, if you know any veterans or first responders, we actually have a sponsor for our uh, March retreat. Um, she wants to sponsor, especially a few women. Um, so mm -hmm. if anyone knows someone who might benefit, please reach out. HealingOurHeroesFlorida.org is the um, website for Healing Our Heroes. HealingOurHeroesFlorida.org. Yeah? Yes. Okay, great. That's great. the brand new organization. Just started a couple months ago, and we just got our 501c3 officially. So super yes. excited about that. That's great. Well, you know, um, again, thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing. I'm really thrilled to be involved with your organization and with you and your you're really an inspiration to a lot of oh, people. Thank you. And, uh, thank you. Know, you. The, the work you're doing is great. So I look forward to uh, I look forward to seeing how we can go ahead and be the change we want to see. So thank you. Absolutely. And thank you for having me. Thank you for joining the mindfulness experience as we explored Kimberly Jorvieski's journey and insights. Her story is a beacon of hope, guiding us toward understanding and healing. Until the next time, stay mindful and compassionate.
Thank you.